tonight we're going to open with a testimony. It's kind of from my from the very beginning of of, uh, of this class. I had really kind of envisioned us doing some music and some testimonies and some teaching, some question and answers, and it's been mostly teaching, I admit. Um, but I'm kind of waiting my way through. We've done a little bit of music, and tonight we get our first chance for a testimony. We would have we would have had this last time, but yours truly forgot. But uh, Deanna is kindly coming back to share with us this. Now, Deanna, um, I should introduce you. Deanna Rickies, I don't know that all of you know, she's a member of our parish. She is the um, volunteer director of the food pantry and does a great job with that. She is an author and a public speaker and an all around nice person. Oh, and I'm embarrassing her now. <laughs> so Deanna, would you please come and share with us uh, whatever is on your heart today and here i've got you a microphone can i take my mask up while i'm yes you may okay. mm -hmm. hey this will be the first time some of you have ever seen my whole face <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm gonna keep mine on okay she gets hers off is this on okay uh father ed first i'm gonna talk a lot tonight about confession and i need you to give a quick overview because I, I know I won't say this correctly but when we come to you or any priest in confession it's you but it's also not you right can you explain sort of what the church teaching is on that absolutely we're going to talk about sacraments tonight but I'll touch that now confession is um are known as often known as the rite of reconciliation. The priest is the priest is known as in persona Christi. He is there as the person of Christ. He is acting as Christ. So when you confess your sins in a confessional, you're not confessing to the priest. You're essentially confessing through the priest directly to Christ. Now we've talked last week about in every sacrament there is um, there is the, uh, the stuff of earth and the stuff of heaven. A sacrament is the intersection of heaven and earth where God's grace and power and gifts flow through the stuff of earth to give himself to us. And the uniqueness about the confessional, about the rite of re reconciliation is that the very words spoken by the priest in persona Christi, that is, the the matter that is the that is the earth and the heavenly stuff of the sacrament when the priest says i forgive you i absolve you of all your sins that word it comes not from the priest but from christ and it is the the um, the power of reconciliation and it comes from jesus's promise to the, the apostles Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whoever's sins you retain will be retained in heaven. Whoever's sins you forgive will be forgiven in heaven. So the apostles and their successors, the bishops and their agents, the priests, serve as that, um, as that agent through which Christ forgives. It was a, as an authority given by Christ to the church, and that is the right of reconciliation or confession. Is that yes? I cool? was thinking specifically about the in persona Christi. in persona Christi. Yes, right. It really is 
you really Christ sitting there. I always think of, of that as you represent, not just representing Christ, but really in the person of Christ, in the person of Christ. It's not me. It's, it's Christ. So that's just a little, a little theological background to give a little more context to what I'm going to talk about. Um, You know, when, when father first asked me to share, um, I wrote down some thoughts about what I thought I would share. And then he forgot to ask me to share that night. And I thought, oh, you know what? I bet that's because the things I had written down, that must not have been the right stuff. So I went back and thought, well, maybe I'll share these things instead. So I really had prepared two very different talks. One was very lighthearted and funny and had some cute anecdotes in it, and I thought you'd really enjoy it. And the other one was the exact opposite, very heavy. And I was really leaning toward the funner, lighter one because it's a lot more easier. It's easier for me to talk about. But I was praying about it this morning and um, asking God what he wanted you to hear because this is not about what I want to say. The Holy Spirit has a message in here somewhere, and only God knows what that is, and it's going to be different for every person in the room. So as I was driving to Mass this morning, I was listening to Mother Angelica on Catholic Radio. She's on, if you don't know who Mother Angelica is, you've probably seen her picture at some point. She's a very famous nun who started EWTN, which is a Catholic uh, cable network. She's dead now, but her recordings live on. And I was listening to a conversation this morning, and I had been praying, which which version do you want me to give, you know? And as I'm driving to Mass, I heard this one little snippet this morning, and Mother Angelica was talking about she got a call one day to go to the hospital and to pray over a man who had been in an accident. He'd fallen off his roof, he'd landed on his head, and he had a severe traumatic brain injury that he was not going to recover from. And so she went to the ICU and prayed over him. And I said, okay, now I have my answer because almost word for word, what she said is part of my, one of my stories. And it's not light fun part, but that's how God speaks to me. And I know that he speaks to you too, um, if you ask him, right? And so I want you to start tonight by thinking about uh, a passage. It's John 15, 16. And in it, Jesus is talking, and he says, It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. So any of you that are in here thinking, Look, I decided to come talk to Jesus tonight and listen to this. No, no, no. Jesus has called you. He chose you and he chose me. And he has a reason for me being here today. And there's a reason that you're here. And only you will know that. John 15, 16. It was not I who chose you. Or not you who chose me, but I who chose you. So I've titled my talk, A Tale of Three Confessions. Um, I grew up in a home completely devoid of religion. My parents never went to church. 
Not once. We never prayed. Not once. Uh, God was never mentioned, unless it was followed by damn it. <laughs> and I heard that a lot. <laughs> um, Jesus was never mentioned. I was not baptized. My, ba my brother was not baptized. My dad grew up Catholic. My mom grew up uh, Pentecostal, I think. But neither one of them had any interest in religion. And I didn't know the difference. Um, we celebrated Christmas and Easter, but it was completely secular. I think I must have known that Christmas was the celebration of Jesus' birth, but it meant nothing to me. And I'm pretty sure I didn't know what Easter was really about. I don't even know when I learned that Easter was the celebration of Christ's resurrection. So how did I go from that to this, right, where I, I wear this nonstop? Um, you know, it's just the Holy Spirit. That's all I can say. Um, when I was a little girl, maybe 9, 10, 11, a couple of my girlfriends were Catholic. And I didn't really know what that meant, but occasionally I'd sleep over at their house on Saturday night, and they invited me to go to Mass with them on Sundays. And I can vividly remember certain things about that experience. I remember the holy water and the sign of the cross. And I remember thinking, what is that all about? And I remember the genuflecting and the sign of the cross. And I remember how beautiful it was and the ritual. And I remember their shiny, sparkly necklaces with the crosses on the end that my friend had hung over her, um, her bedroom uh, post on her bed. But then I learned you can't wear them. They're not necklaces. And they say something, there were mysteries associated with it, but my friend couldn't really remember what any of the mysteries were. And all of this was really intriguing to somebody who was 10. When I was 10, Catholicism felt like a really cool club with a secret sign and some secret words and these beautiful rituals. It felt like those signs and rituals made Catholicism feel holy and sacred and special to me when I was 10. And it's been a while. <laughs> but today, those signs and those rituals make Catholicism feel holy and special and sacred and set apart. And you don't get that feeling in a Protestant church. I got to college, and um, I was always intrigued by religion, maybe because I never had any, and so I took several courses and learned about lots of different religions, but the Catholic faith really called to me. And so I wandered into an RCIA class, very similar to this one, in the late 80s at KU, Kansas, and uh, Father Bill Porter was the priest there. He's now at St. Agnes. Back then, he, his hair was black. <laughs> now it's completely gray. Um, and I don't really remember much about the RCIA, but I remember one class, he showed a video, this black and white grainy video on his VCR, and it was of six children in this remote village 
in a town village called Medjugorje. And these children claimed that they were seeing an apparition of the Virgin Mary. I barely knew who the Virgin Mary was, but I was watching this video of these six children, and the videographer was here, and the children were in the front row of this church, and all of a sudden, these six children dropped to their knees at the exact same time. They all looked up and gazed at the, the ceiling, and they started mouthing prayers in unison. And I just thought right there on the spot, why would these children lie? Medjugorje was in Yugoslavia, which in the late 80s was a communist country, and it was illegal to practice any kind of religion. I've learned since then that those children were extremely persecuted. One of them, Mariana, her grandfather was actually killed by the Communist Party. So for her to stand up and say, I see the Mary, she got dragged out of her high school classroom every single day for months and interrogated by the communist police. She wasn't able to go to college. I mean, it's an amazing story, and I didn't know any of that back in the late 80s, but I did know this. I didn't understand why those children would ever lie. They pick tobacco during the summer, right? I mean, it's the middle of nowhere. So I'd like to say Mary brought me to the church. And I encourage you, if you aren't familiar with Marian Apparitions, there is a wonderful video on YouTube, Marian Apparitions of the 20th Century, and it will blow your mind. My favorite are Fatima, of course, Medjugorje, and Our Lady of Cabejo, in, uh, which was recent in Rwanda. So I will just leave it at that. Mary brought me into the church. What I wanted to share with you, though, especially anybody that's um, not Catholic or is considering becoming Catholic, when I was baptized in college, I was baptized, confirmed, um, got had my first communion all the same night, and um, I didn't really, I didn't believe everything the Catholic Church taught. And I guess they call me a cafeteria Catholic, right? There were things I, when I got married, I took birth control. Um, at that time, I was pro-choice. It didn't stop me from becoming Catholic, and I firmly believe that you don't have to believe everything the church teaches on day one in order to be a member of the church. It is a journey. It is a journey. And through the years, I have come to embrace things that I never thought I would. But the thing I hated most about, <laughs> not hated, the thing that I disregarded the most about the Catholic faith was confession. I don't need to go to a priest to confess my sins. First of all, how embarrassing. <laughs> and second of all, God forgives me. I know that. He's a merciful God. There's, I'm, I, can, I can pray to him and I can ask him for forgiveness. But I want to share with you three confessions that changed my life and why now I am a, now I'm a huge fan of confession. Um, so this is where I have to start to read because this is where it gets really hard for me and this isn't anything I've shared before, so bear with me. Um, confession number one. 
So I was baptized at 21, and I didn't have to go to confession, right? You're, bapti you're baptized, that washes away all your sins, and I'm 21, I'm like, score, I get to start over at 21. I didn't go to confession again for 20, over 20 years, because I just didn't believe in it. And one, when I was in my 40s, I went on a retreat at my church, and it was a two-day retreat, and we actually stayed overnight in the church. And as part of the retreat on Saturday night, now they didn't advertise this when they were telling you about the retreat, right? But that Saturday night, everybody went to confession. I'm like, gosh darn it, everyone's lining up and I'm gonna feel awkward if I don't go, right? I'd been in a really difficult marriage. I'd been married for about 15 years. I had two children. And I, <laughs> this was my confession. I sat down across from the priest at this point. There were lots of us, so, you know, we were at, I was sitting across from the priest, and I could see him. And I sat down very defiantly, and I said, here's my confession. My confession is I don't have anything to confess. But I'm tired. I'm really tired. And I really would like you to pray for strength for me. I'm tired of being in an abusive marriage. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of living with a man who won't get help. So could you pray for me? And I didn't know this priest. And this priest looked at me, and we were sitting maybe three feet apart, and he looked me in the eyes and he said, you need to divorce your husband. And I, I looked at him and I said, what are you, crazy? You're a Catholic priest. Catholics don't divorce. And he said, oh, yes, they do. There are absolutely reasons why Catholics can divorce. And you've just shared one of them. And I said, no, 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 no. It says, I've read it in the Bible, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Every day, pick up your cross. I said, I am carrying my cross, and that's what Jesus has asked me to do. And this priest looked at me and said, how long have you been carrying this cross? And I said, for 15 years. And he said, Jesus wants me to tell you, it's time to put the cross down. I couldn't believe it, and um, I didn't believe it, and um, I left the church, but I started to think, wow, I was in confession. It's not like I'm out having a margarita, and my friend says, ah, you should divorce your husband. It took me two years, and I met with other priests and counselors, and long story short, I did divorce my husband, and my marriage was annulled. So that was confession number one. Confession number two. It's a few years later, my marriage had been annulled. I was dating someone that I was in love with, and um, I was sleeping with him. And Daniela, Daniela, my wonderful friend here, is from Portugal. I mean, excuse me, speech is from Brazil, speaks Portuguese. English is not her first language. So I had to tell her that in America, when you say you're sleeping with someone, it doesn't mean you're sleeping with someone. Um, so Daniela, I was sleeping with someone that I wasn't married to. And I had lots of good rationalizations for it, right? 
I'm in my 40s. My God, I've had two kids. I've had a rough life. I love this person, blah, 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 blah. Um, and yet I felt that nag, right? I felt I'm like, okay, the church tells me this is wrong. So eventually I went to confession, but of course not to my priest, right? I had to drive clear across town to a ch where no one would know me. And I sat down across from a priest for the second time in confession. And I said, here's my confession. I'm sleeping with someone I'm not married to and I'm gonna keep doing it because I think it's okay. And that priest, God bless his soul, was incredibly kind and merciful and non-judgmental. And he said, so what you're telling me is your head's telling you one thing and your heart's telling you something else. And I said, exactly. And he says, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? And we talked for a minute and he was lovely. And he said, just think about this. Make sure, make sure the intimacy matches the commitment. And I walked out and went, ugh, ugh, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> um, and I knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. But I did anyway for a while. But then I'd have to go back to confession again. So here's what I say about confession. No, you don't, God will forgive you. You don't have to go to a priest. Although if you commit a mortal sin, Catholics say you really do have to go to a priest. But what I'm saying is, it's really easy to lay in your bed at night and say, I'm sorry, God, I won't do it again. It is really, really hard to sit across somebody in a collar and say, I've done it again. It's accountability. And that priest is your accountability buddy. And you know if you've ever been through AA or maybe even in Weight Watchers, what's key, right? You need an accountability buddy or a sponsor. And it's not somebody to be mean to you, right? It's that it's someone to hold you accountable because it's hard. It's hard to lose weight. It's hard to stop drinking. It's hard to stop sinning. And you need somebody there that can be your accountability buddy. So I think about the fourth time I went to another priest on the other side of town, I said, this is the last time I'm doing this. I'm not going to sit down in front of another priest again and say this sin. And I haven't. That was confession number two. Confession number three was on Saturday morning, November 17th of 2018. And you'll know why in a minute, why I remember this date so clearly. It was the Saturday before Thanksgiving. I got up. I went to the 815 Mass over at Visitation because I hadn't yet met Father Ed and Cheryl and their wonderfulness. Although I like Father Offit too. He's wonderful. I went to Mass. And during communion, as I was sitting there, I felt this really, really strong urge to go to confession. And I've never done that before. I, I mean, I actually, after Mass, I stopped, I pulled Father off at a side, and I said, I think I, I need to go to confession. Can you hear my confession? And if you know Father Offit, you'll understand this. He's like, I go, do you have time? And he goes, well, not really, but okay. <laughs> so he heard my quick confession. Um, and then I went home. 
I had no idea when I was in Mass that morning and in confession that just a couple of hours later I'd be calling Father Offit again, this time asking him to confer yet another sacrament, last rites, which is no longer called last rites now, it's anointing of the sick. Um, to my 20-year-old son, who while I was at Mass, had hung himself that morning in his father's house while I was attending Mass and in confession. When Father Offit returned my call, I was already at the hospital. My ex-husband had found my son. He was alive. He got him down and um, rushed him to the ER, and they put him in an induced coma. Father Offit called me back, and he said, Hey, what's up? Is this about what we talked about in confession today? And I said, Nope, my son hung himself this morning. He's still alive, but he's on life support in the ICU. And Father Offit said, I'll be right there. Later, I was told that Father Offit arrived. He visited my son. He administered last rites. He prayed over him. I wasn't aware because when someone attempts to take their life, they won't let the family members in to see them because they don't know what pushed him over the edge. So I couldn't see my son. Thank goodness he was taken to a Catholic hospital, St. Joseph's on 435 and State Line, though. So I just went right to the chapel there, pulled a chair up about three inches from the tabernacle and prayed in front of Jesus. The next call I made was to um, Sister Magdalena who Daniela knows. She's a Catholic nun who was a dear friend of mine. You see, in confession that morning with uh, Father Offit, I told him that I felt this incredibly strong calling to join this order of nuns, which is crazy. I was divorced. I was older than I want to admit. And yet I had, I'd been working with these nuns, the poor of Jesus Christ, and they had a ministry to the homeless, and I just fell in love with this community. And I started to think maybe I was supposed to be a nun, of all things. And I'd actually started talking to them about it, and I felt this incredible urge to join this community. And they said, you know, why don't you come live with us for a week? Just live with us and try it out. This had, they had issued this invitation about three weeks earlier. And so I was slated to move in to this convent the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So during the absolute worst week of my life, where was I living? The woman who wasn't even baptized till she was 21? God had made arrangements for me to live in a convent surrounded by these amazing women. I was sleeping, well not sleeping, I was laying 50 feet from their chapel where they have the Blessed Sacrament. So every night, because I couldn't see my son, every night I would have my PJs on and I would walk down to the chapel and I would just take my comforter and curl up on the floor in front of the chapel and pray. And those nuns would not let me feel sorry for myself either. They're tough. I wanted to cry and they said, Deanna, join your suffering to the other mothers around the world. And that's what I did. 
And instead of stealing my faith, that was probably the most faith-affirming thing that has ever happened to me. Because God knew that was going to happen. He allowed it to happen. And yet, look how he took care of me. Sister Magdalena went in to see Chris because the hospital wouldn't let anybody in, but they'd let a priest in, and they'd let a nun in because she's in habit. And I couldn't go see my son, but she told him I was there. She told him I loved him and that I was praying for him. So why am I sharing this to an RCIA class? Because there is nothing more powerful than this church. There is nothing more powerful than our sacraments. Confession is not just a place for us to get absolution. You know, that fourth time I walked out of confession and I said, I am not going back and confessing that same sin again. I went to the man I was in love with and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. We either get married or it's over. And he said, I don't want to marry you. And I walked away. I never would have had the strength to do that. I am convinced that in confession, there is so much grace that God pours out on us that gives us the strength to conquer those things that we just can't conquer on our own, whether it's addiction to sex or alcohol or eating. God pours out grace in that sacrament. He pours out grace in this sacrament. You cannot get that in any other church. Is God in other churches? Absolutely. But not, you don't have access to the sacraments like you do in the Catholic Church. So if you are considering this faith, or even if you're not necessarily considering it and you're just here, you're here for a reason. The faith of our Pope. What other religion? Who, who else does the world turn to for moral authority? The Dalai Lama, maybe? Billy Graham? The Pope. And our world needs that. We have the Pope, we have our priests, we have our sacraments, we have our religious, and they are all here in community to help us. And every day I thank God for all of them. Thank you, Deanna. That was undoubtedly much more powerful than anything I could say about sacraments, which is what I was going to talk about tonight. And I still will talk a little bit, check the time, and then we'll break for questions. I guess we're kind of in a change of uh, format here as we're moving into Lent. We want to realize this as Deanna is sharing the immense reality, the power of what Christ does in his church. It's really kind of beyond belief 
that Christ would minister to the world this way. But this concept of sacrament, and we discussed it the last time we were together, is the nature of the universe, that at the core of all things is the power of God, the energy that, th that holds all of this together. This is the sacrament, that the, the divine and the material are made one in the incarnation of Christ. And Dean is absolutely correct. When in the confessional, in persona Christi, I can't discuss anything that happens in a confession. Um, but I will say this, that whenever I'm in a confession and you know someone confesses their sins, I always pause and I just ask Jesus, what, would, what do you want to say to this person? And then I do my best to share what Christ guides, what Christ wants to share. And yes, there are times I'm just tired and I've got nothing. <laughs> but there are so many times when Christ gives some specific point, and it doesn't come from me, it comes from him. And because oftentimes it's something I have no way of knowing that Jesus guides me into. And there's never such a thing as, as judgment. There's no, like I've, I've always said, Jesus sat on his judgment throne the cross and he judged the world and his judgment was mercy. And this is a judgment-free zone and we've got the sign to prove it. <laughs> and one of the reasons that this is a judgment-free zone is that I assure you, there is no one who can come to enter the confessional who is a bigger sinner than I am. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. I know that um, I am at you know, the, the very bottom rung of sinners and it's, because, and it's only because of God's grace that I can do anything. So there's no never any judgment. But Christ does minister in the sacraments. This is what we call a mystery. Now, if you want to look at the difference between the historic churches, by the historic churches, I would, I would define that as the Catholic, the Orthodox, the Coptic, those churches that um, have their roots in the apostolic era. The, all these churches arose in the apostolic era. There's a great deal of mystery, and our worship is based upon liturgy and sacrament. This is what we do. We gather for liturgy and sacrament. And there's a great deal of mystery. C.S. Lewis once said, no God who is big is small enough for me to understand is big enough for me to believe in. And I'm, Cheryl will tell you, I am one who likes to understand everything. I'm always trying to understand everything. And we do get glimpses. God gives us some understanding, and that's a wonderful thing. But God is, it, God moves in mystery, in secret, in hiding, because he is beyond our ability to see. He is the invisible that holds the visible together. And in the church, they've they have seven sacraments they've defined. Right? And, and reconciliation or confession is one of those because the priest in persona Christi 
Christ speaks his grace through the priest. And there are other sacraments, obviously the sacrament of baptism. And in the sacrament of baptism, through the water and through the oil, God adopts us as his children. He makes us his own. We become the adopted children of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life God has called us to live. And then there's a, there's a second touch in confirmation. Now, in some of the historic churches, uh, and it actually was, it, it was true of the um, Catholic Church up until, I don't know, about the 17th century, I think, um, baptism and confirmation were always done together because both are imparting the same gift. It's the, the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life God has called you to. And they use the same substance of, of oil to, uh, to symbolize, to impart that gift of the Holy Spirit. But in baptism, which is a marvelous, marvelous sacrament, God adopts us as his children. We become the children of God. And then there's a sacrament of matrimony, which is interesting. I had not really, really noticed it until just the other day. I was just looking at the word matrimony. And of course, you, if you look at it, you see long enough, you start, you see the word matriarch. And the word matrimony in Latin literally means to empower, to, to give the power to be a mother. That's what matrimony is, to empower a woman to be a mother. And that's a tremendous calling that a woman is enabled to participate in the creative act of God, that in matrimony where a husband and wife come together and create life. Only God can create life, but he has imparted that to a couple, to a man and woman who come together in holy matrimony to create life. And then there's the sacrament of um, holy orders, which is kind of the, the priest's version of matrimony. The priests and nuns coming into holy orders, they, they become married to Christ and his church. So there are these, these sacraments, there are these seven sacraments, anointing of the sick, which Deanna mentioned is one of them. I don't know if I've count, counted all seven or not, um, but that's really not important to memorize the list of the seven. The important thing to realize is that God, just as Deanna says, God does things through his church. He, he gives his power to us through his church. And as all of us know, the, the Christendom, you know, around the 15th century is separated between the historic churches and the Protestant churches. And a big part of that was the Enlightenment. And um, Protestant churches, of course, there are a thousand different Protestant denominations, so it's really hard to lump them all together. But um, one of the characteristics of a lot of Protestant churches is um, a rejection of some, of, of some or if or all of the mystical character of worship. It needed, they, the enlightenment affected them so they wanted to understand and to reason. The Episcopal Church, of course I was an Episcopalian for years, believed in reason as a source of understanding God. We had to, you have reason. 
So in the Catholic Church, you always say our, our faith is built on, on, uh, on Scripture and on the passing on the tradition of the Church Fathers. We talked about that. But in the Episcopal Church, it was the Scripture, the tradition, and reason. So they had to kind of think their way through things. Because they struggled with this concept of the mystery, the mystical, the sacrament, where bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus. That's the one I forgot. Actually, you know, actually in my notes, which I haven't even opened, but in my notes, that was, um, I want to save a whole, a whole session on just the Eucharist. So that we'll get to that. And today I was going to talk mostly about, I want to tonight mostly about baptism. But the important thing is to realize that God is in the business of caring for his people, of ministering to his people, of sharing himself with them. And he does this in sacrament and in mystery. And that is what really separates the historic churches from, um, again, I don't want to lump all the Protestants together because they're very different. And there are certainly a lot of church, Protestant churches that engage in mystery and believe in sacraments. But um, so many of them have passed from the sacramentality into where worship is more academic. It's built around the teaching. And, and you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, a lot of these, you know, the Baptists are a whole lot better at teaching the Bible than most Catholics are. And you go down to Hillsong, down the road, and they got a lot better music. I'm sorry, sorry, Hunky, but they've got this—they've got this fabulous music there that's so uplifting, and it's and it's current, and it's updated, and and I love it. So it's not like I'm trying to say we're better than they are, but our approach is to is to seek God in mystery, and becoming a Catholic means that we surrender to the mystery. We acknowledge that there are some things about God we understand. We certainly come to a God that we love, but there are things about God we will never understand. But, it all, but he always loves and ministers to us through them. So um, let's, op it, let's open this up for questions. By the way, and most Catholics will, will tell you that although we have seven defined sacraments, that all of life is a sacrament. In fact, we talked about how the whole universe is a sacrament last week. But all of life is a sacrament. In all of life, everything we do, everything we experience, God is going to give himself through those experiences, as, as Deanna shared some beautiful stories there. So um, let's just open it up for questions, and let's see where we go tonight. Open for hard questions. We just you guys want to go home early. Is that the thing? Okay, and all right, Cheryl. Thanks for coming. We knew you would be here to do this. <laughs> so um, I don't. I have some questions and some thoughts, but mm -hmm. um, I just want to just reflect on. I remember when we were when i when i began my journey into the catholic church from the protestant church and i started reading the church fathers and um the um you know 
all those early early um, Christians and learning about baptism. And I remember, now I had been baptized as an infant in the Presbyterian Church, but all of a sudden I went, oh my goodness, when you realize what's really happening, why would you ever keep your child from baptism? I mean, there, because again, I was also rebaptized in my, when I was somewhere in my late 20s, mm-hmm. and um, in a charismatic evangelical community, um, because then, supposedly, I understood what was happening. But you know what? How can we really understand being adopted by God? It's just like, it's impossible. It's a, it's a mystery. We absolutely cannot. And so, but to get that seal as Christ's own forever as an infant, wow, what an awesome thing to be able to, um, to, to place on a child that protection, that, that ability to, to, to put that child on the path held by the hands of those who are supposed to be, you know, taking that child on the journey of faith. So that, that I just love, you know, that. I just wanted to reflect on that. But also, um, I wanted to say, tell me again the meaning of, the actual meaning of the word sacrament. I mean, you said it's the, it's the divine and the yeah, material. The, the word sacrament literally means mystery. It's a Latin word for mystery. But I always define it as the intersection of heaven and earth, where God gives himself to us through the material stuff of this world. And they're all built upon the incarnation. God gave himself to us through the material stuff of flesh and blood, Jesus. So matrimony then, so the would be the, and you said it was, go ahead, put the divine and the things of earth and the things of heaven together in matrimony for me. All right, so matrimony is is one of my favorites because it is so earthy. The priest does not marry the couple. They marry each other. The priest is the official witness of the church. Okay, take my mask off. The priest is the official witness of the church, of their public consent to each other. And the sacrament itself is their intimacy, because through their intimacy, the gift of God of life comes forth. So that's just a huge, that's a really powerful concept. God, you, you can actually see that. Then I mean, it's like yeah. you don't get to see it in baptism. It's all inside. But with two people coming together, you get to see it. I know. See, and, and, and there, are other, there are other aspects of it. In, in, the, in, the, the, uh, in the love that the couple share for each other, they reflect the love of Christ and his church. Uh, in the love that they share, they demonstrate the love of God to the world. There are many other aspects of it, but at the core, their intimacy brings forth God's creative act in the world, in time. It's not on the sacraments, but how come Episcopal priests can, jo- can become Catholic priests, but others cannot, right? I mean, married. I don't understand why we're okay with Episcopal priests that are married becoming Catholic priests, 
but like other, I don't, I don't know of any Baptist. It seems like all the married priests came from the Episcopal Church is my point. And mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, what is it about, like, do the Episcopal, Episcopal Church also believe in the, the Eucharist as true body and blood? Yeah, the Episcopal Church, the, which was originally the Anglican Church, the Church of England, um, they separated from Rome in polity, but not in theology. And so Henry VIII, that means. Yeah, Henry VIII became the head of the Church of England, but they retained the Catholic liturgy, they retained Catholic theology. Now, very quickly over time, you be, the, the Episcopal Church began to divide into several fac factions because you had some very Protestant evangelical thinking Episcopalians, some very Catholic thinking Episcopalians who usually like to call themselves Anglo-Catholics. And um, you had different groups. And um, Queen Elizabeth I said, just say the liturgy and it doesn't matter what you believe. You know, it's just, she has a very broad aspect. As long as you say the liturgy and are faithful to the crown, you're okay. Which created all kinds of weirdness in the Episcopal Church and it, and it has kind of flaked off into some, some strange places. Why the, that's why now there must be a hundred different versions of the Episcopal Church. There's, uh, because they've splintered out into what they call the continuing churches, the Anglican Church of North America and the Anglo-Catholic Church and the Charismatic Episcopal Church that I came from. Um, so it is splintered out. But actually beginning in, from the very beginning of the Second Vatican Council, there was a strong desire um, for Catholics to reunite with the Anglican Church because they had retained the Catholic liturgy, because they had, at least within fact, certain factions of it, retained Catholic theology. Uh, but it was just an issue of polity. So they really just needed to recognize the Pope as the head of the church and all would be well. So that's what polity means? Polity, politics. Yeah, the, the governance, the earthly governance of the church. Um, and that unfortunately never happened. So uh, Pope Benedict, 10, 12 years ago, I can't remember exactly when, established the personal ordinariate, which would allow Episcopal Anglican or Episcopal priests to become Catholic priests. And that's how I'm, that's, I'm a part of the personal ordinariate, and that's how that worked, because they kept wanting the whole Episcopal church to come in. That didn't work, so he said, well, we'll let any priest who want to come in, to come in, and they'll come in through the personal ordinariate. Not easily, not easily is right. It took me 18 years. Not easily is correct. They're rites. They're called rites or churches or sui juris churches is what they're officially called. But well, Peter was married. So Peter, we Peter was married. We all saw. We all noticed that on uh, um, what, what was the name of the show? Wife too. Chosen, chosen. Eden. <laughs> um, yes, that, that is absolutely correct. There are 48 different Catholic churches. We think of the Roman Catholic Church because that's the big one, all right? But when the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches separated in the 11th century, in each of those countries that said, you know, we're going to be the Greek Catholic Church and we're Greek Orthodox Church, there were always those who... Um, wanted to remain faithful to the Pope or the Bishop of Rome. 
And so the Greek version of the Catholic Church is called the Byzantine Catholic Church. They say their mass in Greek. And there is, um, and there are, there are 48 different um, Catholic churches, all of which are faithful to Rome, all of which have different, different traditions, different uh, liturgies and different languages. The Syro-Chaldean, Father Thomas, who's, uh, is here, he's from Syro-Chaldean. So they say their mass in Syro-Chaldean, which is basically an ancient form of Babylonian. And the Syriac Catholic Church, the, uh, there are just so many of them. Some say they're at mass in Aramaic, the same language Jesus spoke, and you know they do. They have differences, but they're all Catholic churches, and most of them. They all have married priests, except for the Roman Catholic Church. They're submitted to the Pope. They are Catholic. The Ukrainian Catholic Church is another example. Yeah, they're all. They are Catholic, but they have a different mass and a different language and their priest Mary. So yeah, it's, it's, I know we've had 2000 years to make this as confusing as possible. Yeah. <laughs> other, other questions. Someone, oh, someone asked me something hard. <laughs> I know. Is this on? Hello. Oh, Daniela. We have mm -hmm. three minutes, so you can answer very quickly. Okay. I was, um, well, I hope this is a very uh, question, a, a personal question that I have, but uh, I was born and raised Catholic, and I did struggle with confession. So just recently, I start practice confession again but even though 38 years in the catholic church is like what do i need to do before coming to confession just go through the list of the ten commandments okay i'm not killing anybody i'm not doing this i'm not doing that like how how should we prepare that's an excellent excellent question um and there are different ways you can do that you can go through the ten commandments you can go uh, you can go through um the seven deadly sins you know there are all kinds of things that you can questions you can ask yourself in self-examination um a lot of times i tell people just to simply reflect on how have i failed to love god how have i failed to love my neighbor but here's the real answer here's here's this is the the the, the real answer is this when you come before a priest remember he's in persona christi Share with him what you would share with Jesus if Jesus were sitting there. Whatever's on your heart. And uh, some people come with their lists, and that's fine. And some people come without having any clue as to what to say, and that's fine. Um, but basically just realize you're coming to sit down with uh, a priest who is there in persona Christi and just share what's on your heart that you would want to share with Jesus. I've got a problem here. This is my problem. What, would, what can you do? And uh, historically, confession has always been linked to healing. So a lot of times if you have a physical issue, if you have something that you need healing, a mental or uh, emotional issue that you're looking for healing for, uh, that's a great thing too, to, to bring up in the confessional. 
And I, I've always got oil with me. A lot of times in the confessional, I anoint with oil and pray for healing because um, those two are linked. 